You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Clear the aisles, the projectionist has smicha. Hi, I'm Avram Kipolevich. I'm here with Yitzchak Kolokowski. It's been a while, Yitzchak. We've had uh, uh, sort of a month off uh, since our last foray into darshaning about old movies and vintage TV. And I know uh, uh, part of that month uh, was Cholomoyed, where I know you had time off from your other job, and um, you were able to sort of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, uh, uh, feed your uh, your old movie buff bone in some way, right? Oh, we had we had something to watch for many, many years, and I just never found the time to sit down and watch. And to be honest, I was kind of distracted and didn't watch that carefully, even though I could tell it was a very good movie. 1932, The Old Dark House, a universal uh, picture. And it has a great, great cast. Boris Karloff, Charles Lawton's one of one of, one of Charles Lawton's first movies, actually. Raymond Massey, who we've spoken about before, Gloria Stewart. Uh, so it's uh, Ernest Thesiger, who you know, also famous for uh, another, and it's Directed by James Whale, famous for another James Whale movie with sure, Carl. We talked about James Whale when we talked about Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein. Right? So it has a lot. It has those two from Bride of Frankenstein, Karloff and Thesiger, um, Melvin Douglas. Just a, a fantastic ensemble cast. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because it's, as far as I know, it's one of the few uh, universal movies other than the silent movies like The Fan of the Opera that I, you know, we talk a lot about copyrights. It seems that this movie fell into the public domain. It's free on Tubi and on a few other streaming. I think it's on YouTube. And, uh, but I also, uh, I found a better copy, I believe, on Criterion. I think that's where we watched it. And it was really quite, uh, quite an interesting movie. The thing that, you know, it's, it's one of these, you know, kind of typical, you know, the, the, uh, people they're they're driving and they and there's a horrible storm and they get stuck in this house you know that the only thing they can find where to go and they wind up uh, finding this this very this old dark house filled with very eccentric characters uh, there's one woman who's very religiously preoccupied Boris Karloff is the butler who's mute um, so again, he's almost reprising the role. I think he does a better job in this than he did in, in Frankenstein, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, I think is, is the superior film of all of these, but it, it really is a powerful, interesting, interesting movie. Um, it's really, but you know, it, it's been known when I did, and when you told me you saw it and how much you enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I note that it's been designated sort of a horror comedy sort of similar to bride of frankenstein in a way um yeah it's it's uh not uh, you know it's not a a science fiction or 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 supernatural horror like bride of frankenstein or dracula or anything like that but it's it's you know it's more of a but it's it these eccentric characters all put together give it kind of a comedic atmosphere like bride of frankenstein it's it's very or, or also the invisible man which is also james whale another one of my favorites uh also has a lot of comedic tones in it so it's it's really it's not a it's not a comedy in the sense of you know later abbott and costello that type of thing it's 
it's very much a James Whale film. You know, that's that's really what it comes down to. The very eccentric, uh, flamboyant. Uh, and, 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 and without putting any spoilers, and I think one of the things that um, it also really deals with um, mental illness, right? It deals with that, the. That's a really, and, I, and again, I I also don't want to spoil the movie, but on the other hand, there's one character at the end who's kind of hidden throughout the whole movie, and when when he is presented, me being a person who works with the mentally ill in my ministry, both at Rockland Psychiatric Center and at Waymart, uh, as we discuss in our other podcast, um, being a chaplain in, in in a prison and in a mental hospital, and the prison being a mental health program focused prison i experience what it's like to interact with people who are mentally ill to minister to them the very high level of intelligence that most of them possess especially their religious fixations you know most uh, you know you'll find maybe not most but you'll find a lot of mentally ill people who will know scripture by heart and be able to quote scripture uh, and and correct you if if you're using a different translation or something because they they're so well versed in scripture and and a little bit of that is present there but also this just the way that that again this character at the end who who was you know uh, I, there there are several mentally ill people in the in this in this uh, right obviously I mean in the, I mean the, the whole night I think. Um... You know, if you take a look at the the trailer that you can find on, um, you, know, uh, you know, it's readily available. You can see the the, the images really uh, are very stark and indicate um, a, a an aggression, rashness, uh, anxiety, um, and um, yeah, it definitely. I, I, I you know, again, I don't know much about the film. I definitely want to see it. I know that it, it's only seventy two minutes long. Right. <laughs> and it, and it seems like it runs. It seems like it's really full of a lot of what eventually becomes a lot of the classic tropes of the dark and stormy night, you know, right. being stuck in a, an old house. But this seems to be one of the first talkies to actually do it. Um, and it is pre-code, so there's a little bit of, a, I guess, there's a risque element in it as well, right? Somewhat, you know, not nothing, uh, nothing at that time where quite a lot more violent than this one but it's a very there's a, there's some very tender moments there's some very but the the level of acting and the level of precision that well really always had in all of his films but like this film really it it has all of the the aspects that a james whale film has to see you know these uh the level of acting that right, and again, it really JB JB Marcy Sheriff, who did the, the screenplay mm-hmm. and Priestley wrote the the novel that it's based on, but uh, Sheriff, who's uncredited, did the screenplay for The Invisible Man, and I think that's really where the humor comes in, you know. Yeah. With and, and also, it's just fascinating that it's even though it's a, an American movie, most of the cast are British. Well, you know, you, know, you got yeah, Melvin Douglas and Raymond Massey. Raymond Massey yeah. was Canadian, by the way. Uh, right and and Melvin Douglas uh, was quite an American and uh, I think he was in a way the prototypical dashing look for the 1930s. Yeah, um, you have Karloff, you have Charles Lawton, you have Thesiger, remember Wills? You have a, a, quite a few British actors in this movie. Yeah. I you know I, there's again a little point that always struck me, um, and it's really one of the reasons I think why Capra really hated 
uh, arsenic and old lace was because he could not get Karloff to do it. You know, although Karloff, you know, the original Frank Kesterling play, Karloff actually played himself or played right. the character supposed to look like him, the one that was on Broadway. Uh, it ran for, I guess, 300 and something, um, uh, you know, showings. Uh, you know, but but when uh, Capra wanted to make the movie, Karloff refused. So yeah. they had to get Raymond Massey, who's in this film, to play the person who supposedly looks like Boris Karloff, which, you know, it, it's so disconcerting, but, you know. Um, uh, um, you know, Arsenal Old Lace is something, of course, a staple, really. Of, of interesting about this, uh, that Bella Lugosi actually played that role on stage uh, for a few years as well. The Karloff, the Karloff uh, character uh-huh. was was played on stage by Bella Lugosi. I didn't know that. I just learned that recently. On the, there's a, a YouTube channel, Dark Corners, and they do a lot of movie reviews and they do some documentaries. All right, listen, Yitzhak, do not praise the competition. Yeah. <laughs> There's other, come to us. We'll tell you about that. We're, we'll sell you the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? You definitely gave me a, a desire to see this film and as a, uh, and another type of film that we talked about, Hollywood, uh, we, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, you know, the interconnection between the U.S. and Britain. Um I actually yeah, this um, film has because, like I said, with the British cast, right? And in, the way, in a way, in a way, it's sort British. of. I understand it's sort of a send up of, you know, British Moors, and I think all these characters, the Lawton character, and perhaps the others, are supposedly, you know, typical British um, fops or uh, people that uh, that perhaps are going to learn a lesson, um, yeah, and in a way, um, you know, it sort of punctures, I guess, uh, some of the respectability. Of what was considered the, you know, the British uh, gentry and and and, and etc. So, you know, I I think that it, it probably you know James Whale it was uh, I don't think anything he made uh, was just arbitrary. I think he you know he was a person who who was like a an auteur of the greatest uh, in the greatest way, um, trying to paint the perfect picture. And I think just for the images, it's probably worth it. I know that it was um, uh, when they restored the film, they actually uh, submitted it in the 2017 a number of uh, international festivals. So people should get to see this, to see this film again, to see the way it was originally done. And I think it was, uh, you know, very much a, uh, a lost masterpiece. Um, uh, I want to talk about a film that, that is also very much a, uh, a send up of British life and British attitudes, um, and it's a film that uh, is, 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 um, was based on, and the screenplay was actually written by the author of the original stage play, Noel Coward, and the film I'm talking about is Blight Spirit, which is a film um, that was released in 1945, but the stage play on which it was based on, and, uh, and Coward made some uh, alterations, and we've talked about you know, the problems of filming a play. Um, but the play was actually uh, developed over a couple of weeks and it ran as a great hit in Britain in the midst of World War II uh, as when, when people were still uh, mourning their dead during the Blitz. It became a tremendously popular film. Um, it sort of, you know, reminds me again of our period, although the COVID is not as, uh, extreme as what was going on during World War II, but it was sort of a way, a coping mechanism 
for the people of Britain. He had a film that really dealt in a very lighthearted fashion with death. Dealing with, uh, it's about a, uh, uh, a sort of a ghost, a spirit that comes back to a husband who has already remarried. And it isn't just like Topper or Beetlejuice or something like that. Uh, it, it really, in a way, um, opens up the superficiality of the main character. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Beetlejuice. That was the other movie we watched over Cholamite. You know, dead people that, that nobody else can see that are haunting. Uh, there really is, in a way, when the man's second wife comes back, when Charles Condamine's second wife um, is, 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 is frustrated by the fact that the first wife has come back. And clearly this man, uh, played by Rex Harrison in the film, um, who had been somewhat of a, um, I don't know if he was ever a matinee idol, but by this time in 1945, he was already somewhat, you know, uh, you know he was already approaching middle age very much a middle-aged, but a serious actor, obviously someone very much in command of diction, as we all know, was playing uh, Henry Higgins later. Um, and he is the, um, is the husband who somehow has to cope with the fact that now his dead wife has come back and she seems to be stuck in the house with him. And his second wife is extremely frustrated. Of course, there's a lot of hijinks in the beginning where he's talking to the dead wife and she thinks that he is talking to her. And you know, the, the actors really pull it off well. We've seen this type of trope consistently, like where the character is invisible and no one can hear them. And who are you talking to? This is a very obvious little shtick of screwball comedies. It's probably been done a number of times. But this film does it really lusciously and beautifully. Um, the film was directed by David Lean. Now, Rex Harrison said, I think in his autobiography, that, uh, that unfortunately this was a film that was supposed to be a comedy and was given over to one of the great British directors who really did not have a, a flair for comedy at all. David Ween, of course, is the director of Lawrence of Arabia, of Dr. Zhivago, and in the 40s he made some incredible classics, including the very anti-Semitic Oliver Twist where uh, you, know, um, you have one of the worst uh, examples of an anti-Semitic character, Alec Guinness playing Fagin as a, as a pedophile and as a murderer, and which, which Dickens probably meant, but <laughs> this was not Ron Moody playing him in the, in the musical in 1968. So David Lean, uh, you know, and of course David Lean made great expectations in the 40s as well. David Lean was an, a very gifted director, one of really the great British directors, but this film, it doesn't have the lightest touch, but it is really, it's, it's filmed in a tremendous technicolor. Uh, I talked about uh, the, the film you recommended, um, The uh, the Old House. Um, it, it, it's the restoration. The, the black and white imagery is, is, is stark and, and, and beautiful. I would say that the, I've rarely seen such beautiful technicolor um, as you can see in this film, uh, Blythe Spirit. Um, the, but, but I think the, although the film really deals with what does it mean that we have relationships and how do we move on from relationships and what is it that connects us to our, our, the people that we're married to and what is it really about and how we reflect about it. It's also, as I said, uh, a, a, a send up of that type of upper crust British attitude 
Um, and it also deals with the attitude that many of these uh, aristocratic people have to spiritualism because the character that is able to bring the dead woman back is Madame Arcati, who has been a mystic and has somehow been a medium ever since she's four years old. And this, I think, is probably Noel Coward's most inspired comedic creation. And um, it's played here by Margaret Rutherford. Uh, if you take a, 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 if you Google Blight Spirit and all the different uh, versions of it, including some of the ones that were made recently, you'll see that this character is always played by an actress uh, who's really looking for, it's almost like the Lady Macbeth of, of, of drawing room comedies. It's really an incredible, incredible drawn character. And I think it's, look, it's in a way, um, a very full representation of what does it mean to be an eccentric mystic. It isn't just an off-the-wall person like you might find Martin Short playing in, 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 in certain comedies. Uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking about Father of the Bride or something like that with just someone with a funny accent who's just bumping into walls or even Peter Sellers' roles as Clouseau. This is really an eccentric, but with a sense of dignity as well about what she believes in. And, um, you know, although there are inconsistencies in her approach that make it funny, she really is committed totally. So you really have some great performances in here. Um, the, the, the women are famous British actresses, I think Kay Hammond um, and uh, Constance Cummings, I think, are the, are, are the women who play uh, the first and second wives, second and fir first and second wives, respectively. And some of them were reprising their stage roles. Um, but Margaret Rutherford, as the medium, uh, she makes sense. And in other words, when you see her and when you hear her talk about uh, the events and how she's trying to make sense of them, you almost can believe that she actually is able to connect to people in the other world. And I think this really brings up the bigger issue, which is in the middle of war, and even when the film came out after so many had died, to be presented with a, um, I don't know if the word is immature, or a very mild and almost teetering on the ridiculous sense of what does it mean to die and to come back. Um, when you had people that, that were being murdered and slaughtered, and yet we don't want to think about that, but, but we don't necessarily want to put death completely under, uh, under wraps. We want to talk about death. We want to speak about death in, in, in this fairy tale, fantastic way, where when you die, you're in some sort of office and you can write papers and you can somehow come back. And, um, and when you come back, you sort of look almost the way you did before, except you've got some sort of greenish hue about you. I think this is a... Um, uh, you know, to me, it's fascinating how that this play and film, and it's all all the remakes and reruns has has, has 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 had an incredible life. You know, unlike the film that you said, which which is sort of this, um, we have to rediscover a masterpiece. Blight Spirit is, is is always being done. If you Google it, you'll see that it's it's a play that um, is always being uh, produced in one fashion or another. And, and I think it really speaks to the fact that we can't really, we want to, to get a grip on what mortality means. What does it mean when we lose someone? But we actually want it in a way that um, it's, it's, it's just, you know, some sort of 
um, uh, you know, off the cuff sort of, oh yeah, yeah, you die, and then she was in some other place, and now she comes back, and right, um, without really facing up to the horror of what of losing somebody, um, and and again, we don't always want to be uh, in a down state, but but I think it's really the opposite. People want a, an idea of death. You know, like a Flintstone vitamin. You know, they want an idea of death that 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 they can somehow talk about and think about and say, yeah, yeah, that that person's really, you know, they look exactly almost like they did right before they died, and in some way, you know, they're you know they're somehow uh, still haunting and still possibly able uh, to connect to us. It's there is no necessarily Ganadin. There's no necessarily a place where they're going and changing and transforming. They're pretty much the same thing. Like death is really just some place that you, like, like you're under the covers somewhere. And I think that's part of the, um, unfortunately, you know, the, the sort of like what we need to suck our thumbs on. Otherwise, the the, the idea of, of 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 things is is, is really too, too great to to comprehend and to really absorb. I think one of the things that I think is interesting about the film as well, and this, you know, I've, I've mentioned many times when we talked about Wise Blood and other films and books, the differences between uh, the film and the book or the play. In the original play, the uh, main character, the Charles Condamine character, uh, actually just leaves both of his, you know, because it turns out, spoiler alert, that the second wife um, ends up dying as well because the ghosts, although they can't be seen, have a power unless it's by the person who they're coming for, uh, the ghosts can move things around. So the first wife wanted re- to kill off Condamine, Rex Harrison, in order that he should join her in this Oyomahemis state, um, or the Oyomahsheker state, as it would be. And um, it turns out that the wrong, she gets into the car instead of him. So it turns out the second wife dies as well, and then they're both there, you know, haunting him. So in the original play uh, that Noel Coward wrote, they end up, uh, he ends up basically uh, leaving them and they're stuck in the house because this is where they came back to and he runs away from them and now he's got a life of his own. So once again, it shows you that uh, he, you know, his relationship was with each of them. One of them was just a lusty, sensual one that had no intellectuality and the other one was sort of just a very a stuffy, one that was really lacking in real love um, and real, you know, physical love and in that way. And he basically is now moving on beyond both of them. In the film, however, um, he sort of gets his comeuppance by um, because I guess they're able to, you know, the, to alter the brakes again in the car. And it turns out they're all three stuck together for eternity somewhere. Um, so it's really, you know, very much a trifle. But uh, but but it is something which I think uh, uh, surprisingly stays with you because of the beauty of the uh, what David Lean is able to do. I think the sharpness of the dialogue, uh, Margaret Rutherford's performance, um, and uh, the the cinematography and and the the, the incredible use of colors. Um, the film I think has been has been noted even though it was made in 1945, it has very sophisticated 
sense of special effects and how they're able to make you actually believe that although the characters are standing next to each other, that one is actually in a different plane uh, of existence than the other. So I think it's a, a it's a, it's it's perhaps a trifle that that might be worthwhile to sort of, if you are somewhat depressed and you're thinking about death and other things like that, I think it's a film that that you can you know, uh, enjoy. Um, and, and I think it stays with you in, in some ways. Um, I know that when I told you, Yitzchak, that I was going to talk about Blythe Spirit, uh, we mentioned... I really enjoyed him and was the agony and the ecstasy where he, he plays a pope who is warring with the Michelangelo who's played by quite well actually by Charlton Heston uh very interesting movie really way too long it could have been a much shorter movie but I I made it through it and um, one thing I appreciate was that you know he played that pope uh you know recognizing that by that time in history the pope was more of a political figure than a religious figure you know Rex I think you know, you can put words into many actors, but Rex Harrison, you really believe that he conveys the intelligence of the words that he's saying. Yeah, and that's that. That's what you in that movie. That's what I saw, and you know, obviously, and, 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 and obviously, as, as as Higgins in Life Her Lady, where he is someone who is obsessed with language and words. You know, I, I think it was almost a role he was meant to play. Although, as you're right, Julie Andrews did play opposite him. In my fair lady, I do want to mention that you know my only on stage, not you know, obviously not in the movie. Yeah. Of course, it was Audrey Hepburn, and um, you know, with someone else dubbing her voice. I think that the uh, you know, just to mention, you know, we started today. I think he was also in Cleopatra as well, which is also considered one of the great flops of of the year. But um, but it's it, it, I, I, <laughs> you know, I think it uh, you know, it, it, in a way. Uh, as much as you would say Rex Harrison uh, had to suffer as the character of Charles Condamine in Blight Spirit, I guess that would have been perhaps uh, it's probably better to hang out with your two ex-wives than to have to be known for eternity as you know as 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 as, as Doctor Doolittle in, in a film that really you know I, I can't see anybody uh, sitting through it. Uh, anymore that's probably a, a worse <laughs> a worse hell that you could think of is uh, being stuck in a bad adaptation of, of of a children's film and you are the almost the opposite of someone of whimsy so that's just a little bit of rex harrison stuff um and uh as we say so that's about it my friends today watch your step on the way out we'll catch you be well Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.